My name is Carl. I am one of the pastors here. I have the honor and privilege of working with our college students, and every once in a while they ask me to come speak to this Motley crew, so I'll, uh, I'll do my best this morning. Um, just one thing quick. Uh, Ellen came up and just shared with us, and man, when she was here on her home assignment, uh, she was actually uh, my neighbor. Paige, my wife and I, we were neighbors with her. We had a couple meals with her. And just during those like short times, she really ministered to me personally. And like I, I treasure those times sitting out on, on her porch and eating this delicious risotto that she made. And man, it was, it was amazing just having her pray for me. So she is, she's an amazing woman of God. If you would, go ahead and talk with her in the cafe. She's just, she's just nice to talk to. Um, so if you, if you need someone to talk to today, it's Ellen. It's not me. So, <laughs> uh, But would you guys just pray with me as we, as we join in? Um, and even if you feel comfortable putting your hands out like this. Um, Father, we, we need you. And man, it's so easy for me in this life. And I can imagine for many of us that we feel self-sufficient. But God, we deeply need you. Without you, we are spiritually bankrupt. And God, I know that, man, as I continue to live this life, I recognize that I am really good at getting myself stuck. I'm really good at running away and messing up. And so, Lord, we just want to open our hearts to you this morning and receive what you have for us. I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts. Would you spring up wells of living water in us, Lord? Would you help us to drink of living water? Would you refresh our soul this morning? And so, Jesus, would you have your way in this place? I pray that the thoughts of our minds and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you, God. And that the words that I say would be pleasing to you. So, we love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're picking up in Acts 9, right after Saul uh, had an incredible conversion story where the Holy Spirit blinded him, knocked him off his horse, led him to Damascus where he eventually accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so we're picking up right after this incredible moment in his life where he goes from being the biggest enemy of the church to now being part of the church. And so we're going to jump right in. Acts 9, uh, starting in verse 19, I'm going to start halfway through. It says, For some days, Saul or Paul, I'm going to use that interchangeably because I can't remember all the time. (laughs) For some days, Paul was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. And they're they're saying, "Isn't, isn't this the guy that made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name of Jesus? Is Isn't he here for the purpose of bringing them bound to the chief priest? Isn't he here to capture the Christians, bring them back to be killed? But Saul increased all the more in strength. And he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews 
plotted to kill him. And so right away after his conversion, it says immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. And I love this. He says such a simple gospel. He, he proclaims that Jesus is the son of God. And the fruit of that is people were like, whoa, this is insane that he would say that because he was trying to kill those people before. And now he's proclaiming the very gospel that he stood against. A little bit further down in verse 22, one thing he said, one thing it says kind of caught me off guard. It said he proved that Jesus was the Christ. He confounded the Jews who were living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That word proving um, in Greek is simbimbazo. Somebody want to try saying that? Simbimbazo? Yeah, yeah. You might never say that again. What it just means, he put it together. He, he linked arguments together. Essentially, he took the Old Testament and he took all these prophecies of the Messiah and said, this points to Jesus. And they're like, well, no. And then he's like, well, this one, this one points to Jesus too. And this one, and this one. And they were so upset, it says, that they wanted to kill him. They got so mad at his ability to prove them wrong that they just wanted to kill him. I just want to ask you a question. How do you feel about sharing the gospel? How do you feel about that? I think the common feeling probably is like a little fear or anxiety, like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to do that. I think there's kind of two main fears that rise to the surface that are, that are underneath. One is the fear of rejection, and we'll get to that later. But the other one that I want to talk about is I feel like a lot of times we think we don't know enough. Or we think, oh man, if I get into a conversation with someone and I say like, hey, Jesus is the son of God, they're going to bring up all these arguments like against the faith and I'm not going to know how to answer it. And it's just going to be this weird, awkward interaction and it's going to be awful. We're afraid that we don't know the answers. But the question that I have to follow that up is what is more powerful? The gospel or well-articulated, impressive arguments. Which one is more powerful? The simple gospel, Jesus is the son of God, or some really well-thought-out arguments. Because Paul does both here. He does both of them in this passage. He says in the synagogues, Jesus is the son of God. And the fruit of that is people are amazed. They're like, what? And even later, it says in this passage that Paul had some disciples, which means as he shared the gospel, people came to know the Lord. They were born again. They, they, the old became new. They were spiritually reborn because of the simple gospel. But then when, when Paul approaches them with these impressive arguments, what's the fruit of that? They want to kill him. <laughs> they just want to kill him. You guys, I think so many times we discount the power of the simple gospel and we put all our trust in human arguments. We forget that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Romans 1:16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation. It doesn't say anything about human arguments. 
and human discourse and argumentation is the power of, no, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so the gospel is the good news. A lot of times when we get into these big arguments with with non-Christians that love to debate, what's the fruit? Maybe you win an argument, you feel good, and they they lose the argument, feel bad. But they often don't become Christians. That's not necessarily the fruit that God wants. And so my encouragement to you is we do not necessarily need to have all the answers. We just need to be faithful to share the simple gospel. And along the way, you will have more and more and more answers. But it begins with this. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Church, I'm kind of, I, there's something like stirred up in me lately where I, there, like, I'm just so aware of this overwhelming apathy right now, right? There is overwhelming apathy in the church at large, in the nation, in the world right now. Like, it is just like, I don't care. I just want to feel okay. And nobody cares about anything except feeling better and being angry at somebody else right? We just want to be angry. We're addicted to being angry. And we, we just have, and when, when we hear the gospel, it's like, oh yeah, heard that one. Heard that one before preacher. But guys, we are born again. We are going to experience eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. That is good news. That is why we are here. And whenever we hear the gospel, if we are born again, We should be so happy and overwhelmed that God would save us from our sin. And so when we hear the gospel, it's not like, yeah, okay. It's like, praise God. Praise God that he would come and die for me so that I can be with him forever. Praise God for this simple gospel. That is what this is about. And that is what we are called to do, guys. Jesus is the Son of God. That is the power for salvation. It really troubles me because we've become so convinced of our human ability that we overlook the power of God. I mean, man, look at, like, I mean, hundreds of years ago, people were thinking that all the problems in society would be qualmed or would get better if education got better, if more people were educated. And now hundreds of years later, we've made leaps and bounds in education. Right now we're living in like the most literate time in the entire world. We have so much information. We have doctoral level information at our fingertips. I don't have my phone with me, but at our fingertips, we have limitless information and knowledge. And guess what? Society is still messed up. Humans still do evil. There is still abuse. There is still deep-rooted hatred. Education, that human effort, made a lot of people literate, but it didn't make anybody better. Or man, even politics. And I mean, it's like, whoa, this young guy's going to talk about politics. Like, (laughs) no. But what I'm trying to say here is even we've made leaps and bounds when it comes to like society and politics in the last hundred years, right? Like the people have a say now, but we still are at each other's throats. 
We like hate. There's so much deep hatred. And it actually says like in 1 John that if we do not love, we are not children of God. That's crazy to me because my allegiance is ultimately to the the kingdom of heaven. I'm called to be obedient to Jesus. And so no matter what policies or what person is leading us or whatever, guys, this world is still messed up. Here's my point. Here's my point is it should be apparent to us that human efforts cannot meet spiritual brokenness. Human efforts cannot meet our spiritual brokenness. We need the power of God. And it begins right here. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It reminds me of a song. It actually reminds me of an old hymn. And if you guys know it, would you just sing it with me as I begin? I hear the Savior say, My strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Church, we as humans are weak. Our human ability cannot achieve God-level results. Our human ability cannot fix our spiritual brokenness. We need Jesus. We need him to wash our sins. We need him to wash the sins of every person. That is our hope. Not education, not politics, not money, not human effort. Jesus it is Jesus. And that's where, that's where Saul's hope was. And he was proclaiming it in synagogues to the point where they wanted to kill him. Continuing on, verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And as I was, uh, as I was reading this about the disciples lowering him in a basket, it, a theme song popped into my head. The theme song of Mission Impossible. You guys know that one? Bum, 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 ba-da-da. And I was like, I, right away, I just thought of like Tom Cruise, like rappelling down 50 feet in this awesome spy gear. And he's going to get this information that's going to save the world. And it's awesome. He's got this sweet acrobatic feats. And it was really cool. Like Tom Cruise was the man in that scene. But as I continued to think about this and read over, I was like, you know, actually, I don't think this was like that at all. (laughs) Paul was not the man here. In fact, he was actually fleeing. And later on when he references this, I don't remember if it's in Galatians or 2 Corinthians, but he he talks about how this was like a, a bummer of a moment for him. 
where he had to run. And I just think about his disciples like sneaking around with him. They were afraid for their life. If they were caught, they were going to be killed. Saul is going to be killed and they're lowering him through a basket. They don't have awesome spy equipment. Like I'm imagining Saul sitting in this basket and they're just dragging him against the wall. He's probably like bumping into the wall every now and again. And he's just thinking about like, wow, I, I'm running. I'm running. I have to run for my life and I'm a little bit afraid. He probably felt really weak in that moment. And I think that kind of points to something in our, our current day and age. I think it's really common for us to feel weak as we follow Jesus. It is so common. And it's easy for us because we want to feel strong to be thinking like, what is wrong with me? I feel so weak right now. What is wrong with me? Like just me, like I, I struggle with that a ton. I keep coming to the Lord. I feel like I should be stronger, Lord. But the longer I follow you, the more aware of my weakness I am. And the more I face it, the more it's right in front of my face. Thinking about Paul, he, he went from being the hunter to being hunted. He went from being the biggest, baddest, pharisaical dude. Everybody respected, revered, and feared him wherever he went. And now he's running for his life. He went from all this respect to standing on street corners and preaching that God loves you. Being ignored by so many who walk by. What a crazy switch. Imagine how weak he must have felt wondering, Lord, what, am, what did I just do? I traded away being the man for now struggling and feeling weak and feeling in need. The Christian life, y'all, is one of dependence on Jesus. It is not about dependence on human strength anymore. That actually the more and more mature we become in faith, the more needy of Jesus we become. The more we need him day by day to guide us, to lead us. And that is a good thing. Think about this. This is the fruit of the spirit. These are the characteristics of God. And this is what comes about in our life. Think about how like weak this might sound in society today. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. All of those things easily overlooked for strength or power or having it my way. But actually, that is the fruit that God brings about in our lives. This beauty, this picture of God, he brings it about in our lives. And we need to treasure those things, church, even as we get overlooked by the world. Even as it seems like, oh man, they, they didn't listen to me. I just shared the gospel. And they just kind of, they disrespected me. But you know what? Praise God. Praise God that I was able to share that you, that you empowered me to be obedient. That's what matters, church. I think, I'm speaking to me right now too, but we are living in our flesh so much. 
and we are not relying on the Spirit. We're living in our flesh and we're struggling. But the reality is, it's like we have a, an entirely different life available to us in Christ. Galatians 2.20, it says that all who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Why are we carrying around our old selves? We're dragging our old self around, walking around trying to please our flesh and not trying to please God. In, in Romans 8.13, it says, essentially, put the flesh to death and live by the Spirit. Put to death the flesh, those passions and desires. And man, we live in a day and age where it's like, you got a passion, go after it. You got a lustful passion or desire, oh man, that is you, do it. But no, it says, put that to death, die to the flesh, live to the Spirit. Living to the Spirit. A lot of us just think about like, oh, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But we forget that God is saying, do this. Look at all of this beauty that we can walk in. And no, we're not just to sit around and sing kumbaya together until we get to heaven. Not to sit there and clap hands and whatever. But actually, we are called, it, later in Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors in Christ. We are conquerors in Christ. How? By our human effort? By having it our way? No. We are more than conquerors in Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We are conquerors in God's love. That is how we are conquerors, championing God's love, his gospel for other people. <clears throat> when we surrender our lives to Jesus, if, if you have put your faith in Jesus, by the way, he is your Lord and Savior. He's our Lord. He calls the shots. That means that we've given him permission to kind of mess up our lives. A lot of times it's like, why am I running into this wall? Jesus, help this wall go away. Really? He's like, I'm trying to do something in you. <laughs> I'm trying to do something in your heart. We have to lay down having it our way and live every day to please God. This verse just, it hits me every time I read it. Galatians 1.10. Am, am I living to please God or to please man? If I were living to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. <clears throat> Are we living to please man or to please God? <clears throat> we're called to please God every day. And I know there are some of you out there that's like, I don't try to please man. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. Great. But like, it's not about pleasing ourselves either. It's about pleasing God. That's what we are called to do. Lord, how can I please you? How can I live to please you every single day? That is our call as Christians. That's how we get our direction day to day. That's how we know what to do. That's how we know those do's instead of just living. Don't, don't, don't. <clears throat> Another thing before I move on that just kind of stuck out to me, um, verse 25, it says, but his disciples, at this point, after many days had passed, um, it's a commentary I read said maybe two to three years or something. So he'd been there a while and he'd developed some relationships and he had some disciples. Paul had some disciples at this point. They were following him. They were learning about Jesus from him. 
And I just love that picture of discipleship. It is all throughout the New Testament. Disciples here, disciples there. Discipleship was talked about so much. And it's kind of like a lost word nowadays or lost art. I think a lot of times we don't like the word disciple. We don't want to say I'm being discipled by somebody because we don't, we don't necessarily like that term. We don't maybe like authority. We want to all feel like equals. Um, but being discipled is so vital for the life of a Christian. And I, I'm really confident it's actually God's will for the church. I know that because that's what Jesus did. He had the 12 disciples, those, those close guys. He even had three really close, the sons of Zebedee and Peter, James, John, and Peter, who were really close. He discipled them. And then he also had crowds. But I also know it's his will, not just because he, he did it, but also because he commanded it in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Discipleship is vital for the life of a believer. I just want to ask you, do you have like a mentor? Do you have somebody who speaks into your life, that reads the word with you, that calls you higher, that you can ask questions to? Do you have a mentor? I think it's so important that at every stage of our faith, we have someone who's mentoring us and we have somebody who we're pouring into. That is a picture of discipleship. That at every stage of our walk with Jesus, we would be poured into and that we would be pouring out. It is so vital for us. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't have a mentor, you can look around this room right now. There's a lot of gray hairs. Praise God. <laughs> the Bible actually says that that's a crown of glory. I envy the wisdom that has been gained by those with gray hairs. But you can look around there. The, one thing I love about this church is that every phase of this church, we have had multi-generations all the way through. Little kids, you know, high school, middle school, college, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, right? Like you can find a mentor here. Somebody who will read the word with you. And something I would even encourage you to do is I, we don't have many college students here. They're all home for the summer. And, you know, a bunch of everyone else is on their boat for the summer. But when the college students come back, I want to encourage you, please talk with my students. Please approach them and just get to know them. They just they want you to approach them. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. The college students want you to say, hey, I, I'm Carl, like, uh, what, what's your major? And one thing we talk about in the college ministry is the importance of discipleship, the importance of reading the word. And the way that I frame it for them is discipleship looks like this. You go up to someone and say, hey, do you want to get together sometime and read the Bible? And so they're used to that language. And so please, please, if you have one hour a week, please go up to a college student when they come in the fall and say, hey, would you like to get coffee sometime and read the Bible? Please. We need discipleship. That is God's plan for the church. It is not singing and preaching on Sunday and then leaving. It is discipleship. And also, if you don't have a mentor, 
please find someone. You know how there's always a bigger fish? There's always somebody older. <laughs> please find a mentor who will read the word with you. Uh, continuing on in the passage, verse 26, it says, um, when we, uh, or when he had come to Jerusalem after, you know, being, escaping in the basket, he attempted to join uh, the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. He had wreaked too much havoc, <laughs> but Barnabas uh, vouched for him. He took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road Paul had seen the Lord and spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Paul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they got mad and they sought to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And so back to that question, Back to that original question I asked a while ago. How do you feel about sharing the gospel? That first fear I listed was um, fear of rejection. We're afraid of the consequences of sharing the gospel because in some way it's going to like make us rejected or make us lose an opportunity with somebody or something. I don't know. We're often afraid of rejection. But the best way, I think, to fight rejection is with acceptance. And we are meant to have such amazing acceptance in the family of God that people look in and say, what is going on? <laughs> look at the love with which they love each other. That is what we are called to. And here it says in verse 28, so Paul went in and out among them in Jerusalem. He was in community with them. He was experiencing acceptance, prayer, fellowship, studying the word together with them. And out of that, he preached boldly in the name of the Lord. When we know our acceptance in the family of God, it is so much easier to face rejection for the name of Jesus. It is so much easier. And it's, it's important that we remember why we face that rejection. So that some people might come to salvation in Jesus Christ. That's why we face it. And so I also just want to encourage you to ask yourself, like, what would it look like for me to share the gospel? And you can even like think, it, think about the words you're going to say. Okay, what did I say? Uh, what would you say if I preached the God? Or, sorry, what would you say if I said Jesus is the Son of God? Just a simple question. Just a simple question in putting it in their core and starting that conversation. One last verse here, uh, Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. And so here we go, church, two words that stick out to me. Fear and comfort. Fear and comfort. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? If you read 
Proverbs, it talks about the fear of the Lord as so necessary over and over and over again. And we live in a day and age where there is no fear of God. We just do whatever we want. There is no reverent respect and awe of God. But we are called to have that. To look on him and say, Lord, I revere you. One way that I think about this is when I was a kid, I, I was kind of rambunctious and I was getting into all sorts of trouble. And I really, you know, I made it hard on my mom. We laugh about it now, but she was not laughing back then. And I would just, I would run wild. And I knew that when she would try to discipline me, I would run away or hide or whatever. And um, she would sometimes say, just wait till dad gets home. <laughs> and that made me like, oh, shoot. <laughs> Because when dad got home, it was serious. Because <laughs> like, he could catch me. <laughs> and there is this, there is this like change in the air when dad got home. He was like, oh, dad's home. Like, uh-oh, watch out. And so there is this like, I, I wasn't like afraid of my dad. I revered him. I respected him. I, I, I recognized that he had all the power over me. But I didn't just like fear him and I also got to work alongside him. I remember growing up, we did projects in the house. One time we tiled our, our bathroom in the basement together and we were working with tools and power tools and he would always be careful, hey, watch out, you gotta do this, this and this. He taught me how to do it and we worked side by side. And in that time, I was probably a little bit like, dad, I wanna go hang out with my friends. But looking back, I. He, he I, I loved those moments. Like he delighted in working with me. It was like something, it was like we were made to do this together. And so there, we are called to have this fear of, of God, where we revere him and respect him as the one who has all the power. And we're like, all right, Lord, I want to work with you. I want to do some work with you, Lord. I want to walk with you and experience your delight in me as your child as I do this. So my encouragement to you, church, is dad's home. <laughs> the father is with you. Walk with him, work with him. And that second word, comfort, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I just want to keep this one really simple and practical. How do you receive comfort? How does somebody receive comfort? By going to someone else. By going to someone else, by being wrapped in somebody else's arms. And so in order to be comforted by the Holy Spirit, we have to go to God. We have to go to him in our trouble, not just try to figure it out by ourselves. And so if you find yourself in need of comfort in any moment or even today, church, go to God. Go to the Holy Spirit. Say, Spirit, help me. Would you bless me with the peace that surpasses understanding? Would you comfort my soul? We have to go to him. I want to invite the band to come up. But church, I just want to reiterate some of those points. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The simple gospel, sharing that good news that we are called as Christians to live to please God. 
And I just want to encourage you to walk in the fear of the Lord and seek the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that as we do that, the church will multiply. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for the gospel that we are saved by you, Jesus, by your sacrifice for us. Thank you for what you did on the cross. I pray, Lord, that the simple gospel, the power of the simple gospel would overwhelm us. That we would be so confident, Lord, that that simple gospel is worth facing rejection, that is worth facing slandering. It's worth it. it is worth it, God, to see some come to salvation, to see brothers and sisters in eternity. God, help us. Would you give us your eyes? We are so jaded in this day and age. Give us your eyes to see that this life isn't just about feeling comfortable and okay, but it is about seeing brothers and sisters come to know the Lord. It is about seeking your face, Lord. It is about pleasing you. So God, would your spirit work powerfully in us, bring about a reverent fear of God. Bring about comfort from the Holy Spirit as we look to do your work. So Father, I, I pray that you would do this, Lord, in our lives. Would you catch us off guard? Would we have quiet times where we are filled with a fiery passion, God? Reawaken the church and may we multiply. I love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.